So good morning. Uh, I want to invite you to your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke uh, chapter 22. It's on page 856 in the Pew Bible in front of you if you'd like to follow along there or on your phone, whatever it makes sense for you. It's good for me. Uh, do you remember ever doing relay races when you were younger? Do you remember the relay races where you'd have teams, you'd run down and do some type of activity and run back? I, we did one called Izzy Dizzies. I don't know if that's what you called them, but you'd run down and there'd be a baseball bat on the ground. You'd pick the ball bat, you'd put one end on the ground, you'd put your forehead on the other end, and you'd spin around a set number of times and then stagger back to your team for the next person to do that. Am I the only one that ever done that, or does somebody recognize this? Izzy Dizzies? Maybe it was just a Missouri thing. I don't know. Uh, I don't know why we did that, uh, but it was crazy because you would get so dizzy and no joke, as soon as you'd run back to your team, you'd be all over the place and many of the times you'd fall on the ground. That's just how it happened. Uh, and so it's really hard to see where you're going when you get turned around. It's really hard to see where you're going when you get turned around. And so you've been driving, and maybe you make a wrong turn, and then another wrong turn, and you think you can figure this out, and then finally you say, I don't know where we're going. I must have gotten turned around. Our thoughts can turn us around. Sometimes we will leave this building on a Sunday morning, and we love Jesus, and we're confident in what he has told us. And then at work the next day or at school, someone will say, you don't really believe that stuff, do you? And our lives get turned around. It's hard to see where you're going when you get turned around. Our scripture today from Luke 22 talks about getting turned around. And it's in the life of the apostle Peter. And he and Jesus and the disciples are having this intimate conversation. And it's, it's Thursday night, just like we celebrated the Lord's Supper. The Passover meal has been served. And uh, Jesus will wash the disciples' feet. And hours later, he will be hanging on a cross. And it's in this moment where Jesus has this conversation with Peter and the, and the disciples. And so I want to read uh, just these three verses, Luke 22, verses 31 through 34. Luke 22, 31 through 34. And I just want to walk through Simon Peter's story with Jesus. And there's just uh, about three phrases that I just want to lay out for us today as we walk through this story. Luke 22, 31, Jesus is saying, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. I want to work mainly in verses 31, 32, and just take it phrase by phrase. That first part is, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. That's scary to me, because it sounds like Satan wants to sift the disciples of Jesus. It sounds like the, the, the evil one wants to go after followers of Jesus. And so I want us to think through that this is a real battle that we are facing right now and have forever. Satan is on the prowl. He is real. And as you walk through Luke's gospel, Satan shows up a handful of times. Sometimes he's called the devil. 
as in Luke chapter 4, where he tempts Jesus, and Jesus defeats the devil with Scripture, and he does not succumb to those temptations. And there in Luke chapter 4, it says, and the devil left for a time left for an opportune time in Luke's, uh, you know, in our in English translations, but it just says, the devil left for a time. Satan shows up again. Jesus tells some parables in Luke chapter 8, and he talks about a farmer going out to sow some seed. We're going to see a lot of seed go on the ground here in the next few days, okay? So pay attention. Read Luke chapter 8 as you're watching all those planters go down the field, and as you might get a little cranky waiting for them, just be patient. It happens just a few weeks every year. Give them the right away. Be safe. And so as you're seeing all these fields being planted, the Word of God is, he's saying, the seed is like that Word of God. It's like what's happening here in this moment. We're opening God's word. So is that seed that's being planted in the ground is like the word of God. But those who don't hear it, they're snatched away. It says that Satan comes and snatches it away so they will not hear or believe. We're in a spiritual battle. Sometimes Satan makes people sick. Now, I need to be careful about this because it, not every sickness is, you can say, well, the devil made me sick. But sometimes Satan makes people sick. And you can go to Luke, Luke's gospel again, chapter 13, and it says that there's this lady who's hunched over for 18 years. She cannot straighten up. Could you imagine having to live 18 years and not be able to straighten up? And Jesus heals her on the Sabbath. There's a little controversy there. And he says, is it not right for me to heal someone whom Satan has kept bound for 18 years? And so Satan is there to disrupt this lady's life, but Jesus is able to straighten her up completely. Just remember that phrase. Scarier yet, you go to just Luke chapter 22, verse 3. Luke chapter 22, verse 3. It's the festival of the unleavened bread, the Passover that we were talking about, connecting with the new covenant, the new supper. And the Passover meal is set. Everybody's ready. And then it says there in verse 3, Luke 22, Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. Then he delighted and agreed, to, they, de, they were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. I was, study, I was practicing the, my sermon my, in my study this morning, and that word opportunity struck, my, struck me. Because you remember when Satan left Jesus after the temptation? It says he left for an opportune time. And now it's Thursday night, and Satan's already taken hold of one guy, Judas. And now he's getting ready to go after the rest of them. Are you scared yet? I hope we're a little scared today, I'll be honest, okay? I want us to have a little healthy fear. Now, we need to remember that Satan's not going to win, but in this moment, let's just have a little fear of remember who our enemy is. And so he's already got, he's already has Jesus, he already has Satan, let's try this again. Satan already has Judas in his care. It says he entered him. John 13 says the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. So he's already clicked off one, and now he's going to start going after the rest of them. Here we are in verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as of wheat. Now here's the scarier part too. This word for ask is to ask and get what you want. 
It's like to demand. I still don't understand what's going on here. I'll be honest. I'm like, so Jesus, you're saying that Satan is asking you something and he can get it? I don't really understand all that. But it sounds a little bit like the Old Testament story of Job. Have you heard that one before? God's there and the angels and Satan shows up and, and Satan basically says, does, does Job fear you for nothing? You've made life easy for Job. You let, me, let me work on him for a while and I guarantee he'll curse you to your face. And uh, that's not what happens. He says, yeah, you go ahead. You can take care of him, but don't touch him. And so Satan goes and takes his family, takes his crops, takes his cattle, everything except for his wife and his health. And Job's like, I came from my mom naked. I'll depart in this, in this world naked. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so then Satan says, well, give me another shot at him. Let me touch his skin. I guarantee you if I work his skin over, he'll curse you. And God says, okay, but don't touch, don't kill him. And so he gives him all these painful sores, and yet he doesn't kill him. So the evil one's got some power, but it's still limited. It's still limited. God is still holding the, the, the cards here. Do you understand what's happening? So we, we need to recognize that this guy's evil. He, he's, he's bent on destruction, but he's, he's still not in charge. Okay, so just take note of that. So I want us to have a healthy fear. We need to avoid two extremes when we talk about Satan. One is that he's everywhere and that he's behind every little bad thing. I don't think that's the case. But equally dangerous is that he doesn't exist at all. He's not there. So you've got to watch those two extremes, that he's everywhere, and that you know, life, we just, we just are crippled, and he's, he wins. And No, we can't, we can't go there. We can't go where he doesn't exist. We need to hold it in tension. Remember, he's real, but he's also a loser, and, and Jesus wins. So just hold that in tension. But Jesus is having this conversation with Simon. He says, Satan is asked to sift all y'all. That's, that's what the Greek translation is. It's all y'all. It's not just you, Simon. It's, it's you, 12, well, 11 now. And I think we can apply it to us as well. He's getting ready to turn just and talk to Peter. But right now, it's just Satan is sifting all of you. And so the, sift, the sieve is like some big metal contraption, and you just kind of shake the stuff out, and, and some of it's going to go out, and some of it's going to stay. And so it's just going to be an experience. And that's what it sounds like is happening so some heart checks going on here. There's another time in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 10, where the disciples, there's a group of them, like 72 of them, they go out on this short-term mission trip and they start healing people and they cast out demons. They come back to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, even the demons submitted to you in your name. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. So remember, this guy's powerful, but Jesus is more powerful. Even Simon, Simon Peter is going to write a letter if you want to go to it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It is really good stuff. And I'm going to read it again, a verse before we go have our lunch here later in a moment. But 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, the, P, the Simon is writing. And so remember, he's heard Jesus saying, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. And then he says, be alert. Be of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Be on your guard. 
in Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, the Apostle Paul reminds us who our enemy really is. I can still remember going to family life uh, marriage weekend retreats, and one of the key lines they would say to us, husbands and wives, they would say, your spouse is not your enemy. Your spouse is not your enemy. Your enemy is the evil one. And so here's, the, here's our struggle. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's an enemy out there. And he wants to sift the disciples of Jesus. He wants to shake us up. Are you ready? Are we on our guard? You'd have a healthy fear. But we do not need to be scared. There's a difference, I think. Have a healthy fear, but we do not need to be scared. Because of what happens next. The next phrase in our text, Psalm, uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 31 Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift all of you as wheat. The next part. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And so now he's not just talking to the group. He's saying, you, Simon, Simon Peter, I'm talking to you. I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. In my notes, I I put as scary as the first part is, the, the devil trying to sift us. This is as equally encouraging And then I'm like, no, that's not right. This is exponentially encouraging. This is so much more encouraging, this part. Jesus is saying, but I have prayed for you, Simon Peter, that your faith may not fail. Jesus is praying for his disciples. Take note of that. He says, I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Simon Peter's the leader. He's been the one and from chapter 5 where he left everything to follow Jesus. You remember the nets were off on the side, the boats and all their business, and they go and follow Jesus. There's times where, where Peter says, you are God's Messiah, Jesus. You're the Savior. You're the, you're the one that will rescue us. He is a leader. And he says, I'm praying for you that your faith may not fail. Some of the translations, some people think that that faith might be that your faith may not disappear, that your faith may not be drained away to nothing. I've prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not be drained away. We believe in prayer here at Berlin Christian Church. That's why we've got a prayer wall as you leave. That's why we ask you to submit prayer requests. That's why we have people praying. Even now, I ask, every week, I ask people to pray for this moment right here. This moment, right now, I ask people to pray for me because I know I can't do this on my own power. And just a few moments ago, I was sitting right there and, I'm, and I just went through a little prayer routine. I admit I can't do this, God. Without your help, I can't do this. And I prayed, I said, God, heal marriages, bring lost people home, stir up evangelism, and I just pray through some of those things. I, I pray uh, prayers of trust. I trust your word that you can do things through this book and through what you've done. I prayers, prayers of trust. I ask that I can just speak right, that people can understand me. I just pray, help me enunciate my words clearly. Don't let me get tongue-tied. Help this crazy box on my belt to work right today. Things like that. I didn't pray at this morning, but maybe I should have. But, you know, you see things like that. that you just, in this moment, I'm acting, you know, acting of preaching. Help me. And then I just say, thank you, God, for how you're going to answer these prayers. That's been a routine I've started praying the last few weeks. 
And so I just prayed some of it this morning, just before I walked up here. This is a powerful moment that's happening. And so I want you to think about Jesus is praying for his disciples. Do you ever think what Jesus is doing up in heaven right now? Let's be honest. Most of the time we think, okay, Jesus died on the cross. Good. Rose from the grave Sunday morning. Really good. Uh, ascended into heaven. Great. What's he doing now? I mean, let's, let's, I mean it's, he's been there a long time. John's gospel says, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come back to bring you so that you may be where I am. Okay, so Jesus is working on some new heaven, new earth. That's going to be really good because if he did like the whole world in seven days and he's been working on this for a long time, it's going to be pretty cool. But what's he doing up there in heaven or in the presence of God? You ever think about that? I mean, it's... We don't think about that too much. The writer of Hebrews gives us an idea of what Jesus might be doing right now. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Hebrews seven twenty-five. Therefore he, Jesus, is able to save completely. You know what that word means? You can stand all the way up. Remember that gal that was bent over for 18 years? You can stand all the way up now with Jesus. The one whom Satan had bound. You can save completely those who come to God through him, Jesus. Because, check this out, he always lives to intercede for them. That's, that's code language for he's always praying for his people. So Jesus is praying for you. Did you ever think about that, that Jesus prays for you? And I'll be honest, I know some people that their prayers are pretty powerful, but I think the prayers of the perfect Son of God are probably the most powerful prayers that can ever be prayed. So he's praying for you. One more verse, if you're not convinced, go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Verse 34, Romans 8, 34, the, the, Paul is saying, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ who died. More than that was raised to life. We've celebrated that this last week, haven't we? Easter weekend. Is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So my friends, take courage. We are in a spiritual battle, but Jesus is praying for us. And he's reminding and telling the Father, Hey, those sins are covered. My work on the cross, you remember, that's the taken care of. And so he's praying for us, and he's applying that work to, to God for us. And who knows what else is going on there if, if he's just praying for us. Remember, take heart. So Jesus is saying, Simon, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail, that your faith may not disappear. And then the last part of verse 32 and when you've turned back, when you've returned, strengthen your brothers. When you turn back, when you return, you strengthen your brothers. Jesus challenges his disciples to strengthen others. I love that Jesus says, you know, when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. It's not like you're going you're gonna to kind of mess up and just go away, don't come back. He's like, you come back and you, I've got work for you. Might have a little dip here, but I've got work for you. You strengthen your brother. Shore them up. 
And then they have this conversation just briefly. Verse 33, Peter replies, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Peter's pretty sure of himself. I'll go to prison. I'll I'll die for you, Jesus. Jesus says, you better watch out. You don't have to go very far. You go down a handful of verses, down to verse 54, Luke 22. Then seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. I'll go to prison with you. I'll, I'll die for you. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked at him and said, this man was with him. Verse 57, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. I'll go to prison with you. I'll die for you. I don't, I don't know who that guy is. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not. I'll go to prison. I'll die. I, I, I'm not, I don't know that guy. I'm not, I'm not who you think I am. About an hour later, doesn't take long, does it? About an hour later, someone else asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. I'll go to prison. I'll die. I don't even know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And then Luke gives us this instant. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. wonder what that looked like. Did Jesus hear what Peter was saying? He at least heard the rooster crow. And Peter was reminded of the words the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. you relate to that story? Satan has asked to sift you. I prayed for you. When you turn back, strengthen your brothers. What did that look of Jesus and Peter look like? It said that Jesus looked at him. Is it the, one, is it the look of, I told you so? Is it the look of, how could you do this to me? I thought you said you were going to go to prison and die? Is it the look of, I'm not giving up on you? I almost kind of picture the lovesick parents and, and the child, again, for the umpteenth time, just hurts their heart, but they still look at them with love. The Puritans say this. It's a helpful book by Dane Ortland, Gentle and Lowly. Some of us have read it. Very helpful. And in one chapter, it says, The Puritans loved to reflect on when we sin, the very heart of Christ is drawn to us. 
Can we just keep that picture in mind? I've prayed for you. Your faith may not fail because when we sin, the very heart of Christ is drawn out to us. Yeah, now there's, we'll talk about judgment and wrath and accountability for sin, but in the moment of just sin and you and Jesus, he will receive you back if you just say help. And so I just wonder if that might be happening in this moment with Peter and Jesus. He looked directly into him and sees him. And the heart of Christ is drawn out to him. Have you been there? I've got a ministry friend. He gave me permission to share his story. I called him this week to verify. He was a young minister. just started preaching at a small church. 15 people on Sunday mornings. And the church grew. uh, And where things were really just kind of clicking. And for being a young minister, you just was... You know, very excited, and but he said there. You know, from the outside it looked like things were good, on the inside, not so much, because he knew as a young guy he was taking too much credit for what was going on, and was kind of struggling with some ego. And he said, "I was thinking too high of myself. Whenever that happens, that automatically means that Jesus is lower. So if we are too high in our view, and then Jesus naturally can't take take that. So that's a problem." Couple that with a growing pornography addiction. And uh, things started unraveling for him. And he's preaching. He's struggling with this addiction. And he says, I was caught. And he said, by the grace of God, I was caught. He said, I wish I would have been caught earlier. But he was caught. And then he went through this season of anger. He resigned from the church and... Um, he was like, God, I want to preach, and you took this ministry from me. And it took some time for people to walk with him and just to love on him. And he says only in the church would people rally and come around people who are hurting. And he said there was some times of tears and times of people that just loved on me and prayed for me. And he said, I got to a point some months later where I said, you know, God... If I never get married, if I never preach again, if I never get out of debt, he'd racked up some foolish credit card debt. If I never get any of that, that's okay. Because Jesus, you're enough. Would that we all could get to that place. Jesus, you're enough. About two months later, I met a gal who would eventually become his wife. Went on to Bible college and got out of debt. And I don't know how those two things work together, going to Bible college and getting out of debt, but by the grace of God. And he said he was out of ministry for six years, but he's preaching again. But it took time, and it took tears, and it took people loving on him and saying, Your life's not over. You're a young guy. You've got a lot ahead of you. You can still make some of this. You can turn this around. And he gave me permission to share that. And I'm just thankful for for his story. And he said, part of my story is not being ashamed. He said, and I have now shared my pornography addiction with people, even in a church gathering. He said, that was hard to do. But he says, I think that's what it means when the Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of salvation for those who believe. 
And so he is able to have lived out what Peter experienced. Someone whose faith is faltered, comes back to Jesus, and is able to strengthen others with his story. My friends, returning to Jesus creates opportunities to strengthen others. So I want to, and I just, give me a couple more minutes. I know I'm going longer today. I'm so sorry. Uh, but there's two, I want to walk us through just in the next couple minutes, what does this look like to find your way back? What's Peter's path forward from this? Because I think we need to say, okay, that sounds good, preacher, but where do we go from here? And so if you read Luke's gospel, the last thing you hear the apostle Peter say, I don't know that guy. I don't know that man. Man, I'm not him. That's the last words he says. You've got to follow the story a little further. So he weeps bitterly. That's the first part of his story forward. He weeps bitterly over his sin. He goes out and weeps bitterly. The next part of his story is that he goes on Easter Sunday morning to check out what these ladies have said, and he sees the empty tomb. Remember, we read it last week, at Luke 24, 12, and he's wowed by that tomb's empty, so Jesus is alive. And so as we look at Peter's path forward, can you just lay your path alongside of his? Have you wept bitterly over sin? We have the victory of the empty tomb just like he did. He saw Jesus ascend into heaven as king, king. We didn't see that, but we can believe that. Jesus has ascended as the king in heaven. The next part we see in that part with Peter is in Acts chapter 1, if you want to go there. Acts chapter 1, verse 13, he's with the group. He's with a group of disciples and some ladies, and they're praying. So if you want your path forward, you need someone to help you. You need someone to pray with you. And so in Acts chapter 1, Verse 13 says, uh, those present were Peter, John, and the rest of the disciples. Verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. You need people praying with you. And so if you want to go forward, you need to find some people to pray with you, to walk through this life together. You can't do this on your own. We need each other. And so we, we pray. And remember, Jesus says, I've prayed for you, Peter. And then... You flip the next chapter, and the Holy Spirit shows up on him and all the disciples, and they think that he's drunk, but they're not. And he starts speaking. And so as followers of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us to, to guide and direct and encourage us and remind us of the truth. You go further with Peter's story, and he starts speaking to about 120 people. And then he starts preaching some more, and 3,000 people are baptized and accept Jesus. And you go a couple chapters later, and that number grows to 5,000. I pray that your faith may not fail, and when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. You think he did? So where do we go? I want to remind you that Jesus is bigger than our mistakes. If Jesus can walk out of the tomb and ascend into heaven, then he can overpower anything Satan wants to sift against us. Maybe you're in one of those sifting seasons right now and you just feel like you're being worked over. Take heart. Christ prays for your strength to remain strong. Maybe you've faltered and you think God can't use you or won't use you. Remember the love and forgiveness of Jesus. He gives second chances. 
And I encourage you to follow Peter's path forward and use your story of God's grace in your life to strengthen your brothers and sisters. So what's that going to look like for you this week? How are you going to strengthen someone? And who would that be? Returning to Jesus creates opportunities to strengthen others. Let's pray. King Jesus, I thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for this holy moment to just address real life. And Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit protection against evil. Lord, I pray that you would bind the evil one and his influences that are trying to disrupt and destroy people. I pray that you would strengthen people's faith. Remind us of the victory of the empty tomb. And Lord, we long for your coming. Lord, give us a vision of what that looks like for us to strengthen someone around us. Maybe it's sharing our story. Maybe it's coming around praying with them. Lord, show us what that looks like for us today. Amen.